Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Go with me if you will to Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27. And um, I believe I have a word from the Lord. Um for you. That's what you came for, right? I hope you didn't come for something from me. I'm not that smart. I don't got anything. But the the Holy Spirit does. And I'm just going to follow him and be led by him and say what he wants me to say. Let the chips fall where they may. But I believe it will strengthen and encourage you. I've said this statement the last several weeks, you know, through all that's going on in our world. Um, and the, you know, the struggles, the challenges. Anybody over 2020 yet? <laughs> Anybody just like, let's just jump ahead six months to see what 2021's got because, uh, you know, the track we're on, the pace we're on, um, it's, it's breaking down very quickly. Amen. But the last several times that we've been together and the last several times I've ministered, I've just really wanted to charge and challenge the church. The body of Christ. That's who you and I are. You understand that, right? That's what we just sang about. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And just to give you a quick little recap um, of who you are, when God created us and put us on this planet, he did not put us here for relationship. He did not put us here to worship him. He did not put us here uh, so that we could all just one day long for going to heaven and being with him once again. I know that these are all Churchional or church traditions, traditional thinkings and ideas that we have bought into over time. And I'm not trying to burst any bubbles. I'm not trying to, uh, you know, crush any toes or kill any cows per se. But it's important that you know why you're here. You know, that's really important. It's really important to know why you wake up every morning. It's important that you know why you go to the job you go to, why you're married to who you're married to, and why you're raising the kids that you're raising, and why you are gifted with the gifts that you have and not gifted with the gifts that you don't have. And a lot of our identity is built off of what we do rather than why we're here. Why? Who we are. And when God put Adam and Eve on this planet initially, Genesis 1.26 tells us that they were put here for authority. They were put here to rule and to reign. They were put here to put the earth and the world under subjection. Not to be told what to do, but to determine and to dictate what should be done in this realm and in this environment. But when you fail to remain submitted to authority, you are removed from authority. If you don't remain under authority, then you will be removed from authority. And ultimately, two chapters later, that's all we get of a perfect world, a perfect paradise, is mankind failing to submit to one word from God. Do not eat the fruit of that tree. Do not eat. Do not disobey my command. And when they disobeyed God's command, they fell under obedience to the enemy that tricked them and said, did God really say not to eat? Don't you realize that if you eat this fruit, you'll become like him? He's trying to keep something. He's trying to withhold something from you. And so man went on this, this, this travesty and this tangent of losing their authority, not just losing it, but ultimately handing it over to the enemy. We know the word says that the devil, Satan himself, he's the God, he's the ruler of this world. Everything that we're seeing, all the garbage that we're seeing right now, it's not being dictated by God. Well, did God bring this and did God bring that? My word, my Bible doesn't define a God that brings sickness and disease. My Bible doesn't define a God, doesn't give me an image of a God that, that, that uh, is bringing horrible things on people to teach them something or to develop more faith in him. My Bible tells me that he came to bring life. And not just life, but more abundantly life, right? That's the way God works. He goes over and above, exceedingly abundantly above what we can ask or think. That's the God that I serve. And so now Jesus didn't come to get you to heaven. I know I'm knocking over another one. Jesus did not die on the cross so that you could get to heaven one day. 
That was not his thought in mind. That was not what he was thinking. Man, I cannot wait till all these people come home to be with me, come back to heaven. No, that's not why he came. He came to get heaven back in the earth where it belonged. And the way, he do, the way that he chose to do that was through you and I, kingdom citizens, royalty, that are seated in heavenly places like we just sang, that we bring heaven to earth. Isn't that what Jesus taught his disciples to pray? Your kingdom come and your will be done on where? Earth, right here, as it is in heaven. So whatever God's will is in heaven, that's what he's expecting to be done on this earth. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves since Jesus didn't come just to relocate us back to a place with golden streets and mansions and, and you know, uh, no crying and no sickness and no lack and everything's just happy-go-lucky, which we all really, if you read the book of the Bible and you read Revelations, we greatly misunderstand what heaven is really like. No, but he came to get his will and his purpose and his design back into the earth through you and I. That's what you and I are. We're kingdom agents. So we see what's happening around us. To see the brokenness, we see the depravity, we see the destruction, we see that that we define and make up new ways to sin. The old ways weren't even good enough. We've got to find more ways, and and, and we bring division on top of division, and and we're, we're piling up garbage upon garbage, and it's all... Uh, you know, just falling apart. And you and I are not here to pray our way out. We're here to find his purpose and find a way through bringing light into the midst of darkness. Amen? And so I've made this statement the last several weeks. Why isn't the world asking the church what we should be doing? Anybody notice that? Politicians aren't asking the church. Government's not asking church. Education's not asking church. They're not asking the church, which we are the one entity on the planet powerful enough to bring real lasting change to the problems that we're seeing. If you don't realize that, then you don't even know who you are as the church and as the body of Christ. When we say body of Christ, think about that. Body of Christ. What did Jesus do when he walked this planet? Everywhere he went, change happened. Everywhere he went, he was changing things from darkness to light. He was reconciling things. He was bringing things together. And in the midst of that, he was also bringing division. He also brought a sword. He also defined who was for him and who wasn't. He also defined who was really after his agenda and his plan and who wasn't. But in the midst of that, We've got our example of what the church should be doing in the earth and in the midst of destruction today. Why isn't the world asking the church? When does the church lead? And I think what the church has been waiting for is leadership. I think the church has been waiting for a position of the world giving us authority. But I want to show you a man in this chapter that did not have authority, but he still had influence. Did you know you can have influence without authority? Did you know you can still make an impact, but you're not in charge? Did you know that you can still be the one that has the answer for a lost and dying world, but the world doesn't see you that way? And I believe this picture in Acts chapter 27 of Paul And his position in the midst of this story shows us as a church how we ought to be helping the world navigate when they don't know where they're going. Where they don't know who they are. We have a role to play. Look at this in verse 1. When it was decided that we were to sail to Italy, they handed over Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion named Julius of the Imperial Regiment. And when we had boarded the ship of Adramidium, we put to sea, intending to sail to ports along the coast of Asia. 
Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we put in at Sidon. Julius treated Paul kindly and allowed him to go to his friends to receive their care. Allowed him because Paul in this story is a prisoner. In fact, Paul has been a prisoner for about the last two years prior to this story. He's getting real well known with the prison life. He's not being brought on as a navigator. He's not being brought on for his influence. He's not being brought on for his power. He's not being brought on because he's doing such a good job. He's being brought upon this ship as a prisoner on his way to Rome to be tried by Caesar. He appealed to Caesar, and so they said, fine, you're going with us. So he's not going on this trip with any level of status. He's not going on this journey with these guys like, hey, Paul, why don't you join us? He has to. He's in chains with 267 other inmates. He's at the bottom of the totem pole. But we're going to see that he's going to be able to have some influence. Verse 4, when we had put out to sea from there, we sailed along the northern coast of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And after sailing through the open sea off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we reached Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. Sailing slowly for many days, with difficulty, we arrived off Nidus. Since the wind did not allow us to approach it, we sailed along the south side of Crete off Salmon. With still more difficulty, we sailed along the coast and came to a place called Fair Havens. I'll be honest with you, Fair Havens is the only two words out of all those cities I just mentioned that I even know how to pronounce. But a pastor told me when I first started preaching, he said, just say it like you know it and they'll think you know it because they don't know it either. So if you think you can pronounce it any better than I can, here's your shot. Fair Havens, near the city of Lycia. By now much time had passed, and the voyage was already dangerous. Since the Day of Atonement was already over, Paul gave his advice. Paul gave his advice. He's a prisoner now. He's a prisoner. He's not on the board. He's not CEO. He's not chairman. He, he he's, has no uh, uh, interest in, you know, the ship and making sure everybody gets somewhere safely. He's a prisoner. And he gives them advice and told them, men, I can see that this voyage is headed toward disaster and heavy loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. And they said, well, what do you know? A prisoner that doesn't want to travel to be imprisoned. What a surprise. He doesn't want to continue the voyage. What a surprise that a prisoner, what does he know? He's not a, he, he, he doesn't own ships. He doesn't know the waters. He's not even in charge of these prisoners. He's a prisoner himself. This guy has no level of influence whatsoever. But he in the New King James reads, he said, I perceive that there's going to be great loss. I perceive, I perceive that there's trouble ahead. Anybody in any anybody right now perceiving that there's trouble ahead? Anybody saw this coming uh, a few months ago? Anybody saw this happening? Maybe not, uh, you know, in, in, in the way that we're seeing it take place, but we see the decline, right? I mean, you, you don't have to be real smart. You don't have to go to school and be educated to recognize there's a decline taking place. There's a struggle happening. But he said, by the Spirit of God, I perceive. Because see, Paul has access to something no one else on this boat has. Paul has access to something. He's got inside information by the Holy Spirit. There's trouble ahead. Let me just give you my advice. But verse 11 says the centurion paid attention to the captain and the owner of the ship rather than to what Paul said. So right here we've already got four individuals listed. 
We've got the centurion. He's in charge. We've got a captain. He's in charge of navigating the boat. We've got an owner of the boat, so he's in charge of the boat. Belongs to him, so he's got some interest in this thing. And then we have Paul, a prisoner with no influence, no status. Doesn't belong in the same room with these individuals. And so these other three individuals are what? They're relying on their natural resources. They're relying on their ability to navigate and see what's ahead. Obviously, one of the first things they're going to look at is the current situation. Weather looks good. Got a light breeze blowing through. Not a lot of issues. Looks like a great day to sail. Looks like a great day to get out. It actually goes on to read that, you know, we saw that it was the Day of Atonement. That was anywhere uh, in the months of September and October. So we're getting late into the year, and they were going to have to stay there for a while. So they're like, we don't want to stay here. It's about to get cold. This is not a place that you want to be in the winter. We need to press on. We need to get to where we're going. Paul advises not doing that. Paul advises not staying Uh, or, or not pushing on, but rather staying where you're at. And so the world right now is taking a a, a barometer. They're, They're taking a test off of what's happening, and then they are limited to their own natural resources to find a solution. Anybody see this happening? That's that's probably the one thing that's popped out to me is when when struggle and trial and challenge hits. You find out what you rely on. I've said this a hundred times in this church. You don't know what you depend on until struggle shows up. You didn't know you really cared about what everybody else thought about you until your worth and your value was questioned. You didn't really know how much you were trusting in that credit card until you didn't have the surplus anymore. You didn't know how much you were relying on the, 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 the situations around you until they become challenged. And so a challenge starts to show up, and they immediately are resolving to their natural resources, their natural ways of fixing the problem. And what I see today is we're trying to solve a spiritual problem with natural resources. But I can't get mad at the world for not going. How can I expect the world to love their neighbor as themselves? They've already skipped to number two. Number one is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. They went right past that. And so we're going to expect them to walk like we're supposed to be walking, like what the world tells us. We're expecting the world to exhibit things that really only can be exhibited when you have real heart change. You know some of you would treat people really bad if it weren't for Jesus coming in and changing your heart. Some of y'all still do sometimes and you don't tell nobody. I saw someone the other day said, uh, you know, some of y'all been wearing face masks to church for a long time. Put Put the church smile on, put the church suit on, dress it up real good, but we look different than we do Monday through Friday right? No, it's only God that can produce these types of behaviors and actions and lifestyles. And again, we're not trying to modify behavior. That doesn't change anything. Modified behavior doesn't change anything. We want to see real lasting change in the heart of man. That's what God wants to see. That's what's going to bring about real change around us. Verse 12 said, since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided to set sail. The majority. Oh, yeah. The majority. You know, I'm going to tell you right now, as the church, you better be ready to stand all by yourself. I'm serious. You better be ready to stand and look like the one 
idiot that doesn't sound like everybody else, doesn't share and post and tweet and retweet and comment like everybody else. I mean, a lot of what I'm hearing today is just echo chamber. A lot of what I'm seeing is, is, is just, I sound like the person that I read last, but that person sounds like what they heard, and that person sounds like what they read, and that person sounds like what the other person posted and tweeted, and we're posting stuff to prove stuff. We're, 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 in, this, we're in this box right now where it's the same thing being bounced around all over. Where's the, and I don't want to just be an echo, I want to be a voice. There's a difference. I don't want to just make a noise. I want to make a sound. Sound of heaven. I want to hear from heaven. You know, a lot of us are being backed into corners of having to speak quickly because silence is agreement. No, sometimes silence, the Bible tells us that it's wise to hold your tongue. Sometimes it's wise to collect the information. Sometimes it's wise to allow things to run a certain process and go its due course. Hello? They want to speed up our response because they want us to speak before we hear from heaven. And this is the thing you got to understand, is as a kingdom citizen, you've lost any right to opinion. You have lost all right to opinion. People have asked me, Pastor Ron, what's your opinion? We had someone drop by the house just last week. Pastor Mar, what, what, what? so what's your opinion with all this stuff? What's your opinion with this and with that? Yeah, I don't have an opinion. I can tell you what my king says, and I agree and submit, and I come in line with what my king says. Because I belong to a kingdom. And in a kingdom, not a democracy, in a kingdom, you don't have an opinion. The king's word is the only word. Well, that sounds horrible. Not if the king has the people's best interest at heart. There's only one king that I know that can do that. There's only one king that I know that makes a decree and makes a stance and takes a position that has you benefiting only. And that's my father God. That's the king of the heavens and the universe, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So I don't have an opinion, but if you really want to know what I'm thinking or what I would have to say on a situation, let's go to the word. Let's go to what the Bible says. I've got people now that want to throw out the Bible. Church people want to say that we, can't, we don't need to follow the Bible. It's irrelevant. It's archaic. It's antiquated. No, 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 no. Maybe may, the word is not irrelevant to your lifestyle. Maybe you've made your lifestyle so irrelevant to the word. Maybe we've got this thing flipped around, and we need to get back to some of the archaic, antiquated thought processes. Amen. Well, this is going great. Let's just keep on going here. That's great preaching, Pastor Mark. Keep on going. Thank you. I think I will. Verse 13, when a gentle south wind, that's all, it always starts gently, doesn't it? Why? Because they want to recondition you. You don't get reconditioned with an abrupt disruption. You get reconditioned by slowly phasing things in over time. Oh, that's acceptable. Oh, I can do that. I can tolerate this. I can allow that. That's okay. And before you know it, you're in full-blown on the other side. It started out, remember Paul's advice was, I don't think we should move on. We're going to, it's going to bring great damage, including our lives. Paul spoke. Paul spoke before anything went wrong. Paul spoke before. See, this is the title of my message, by the way, is I told you so. I'm not kidding. That's the title of my message. And you'll see Paul makes that statement. He doesn't even hold back. Guys, I told you we shouldn't have done this. But you can't say I told you so if you didn't speak up in the first place. Oh, yeah. Easy to speak up when the natural indicators point to 
what you've already reconciled and what you've already come to a conclusion on. But we've got to come to a conclusion by faith, not by what we see. A gentle south wind sprang up. And they thought they had achieved their purpose. They weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. But before long, a fierce wind. It doesn't take long. It feels like that time between the the gentle wind and the fierce wind, that that gap is closing very quickly. But it, it does not take long. And once you begin to tolerate and accept one thing, that we are thrown full force into the ramifications of it. It's happening very quickly. Before long, a fierce wind called the Northeaster rushed down from the island. Since the ship was caught and unable to head into the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. It'll get so bad that you can't even steer, you can't even navigate, you can't even make a decision anymore, you can't say anything now because it's driving you rather than you driving it. We are being directed. We are being forced to and fro. We are being driven through all this stuff if we don't take hold from the beginning. After running under the shelter of a little island called Kada, we were barely able to get control of the skiff. And after hoisting it up, they used ropes and tackle and girded the ship. Fearing they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the drift anchor. And in this way, they were driven along. Because we were being severely battered by the storm, they began to jettison the cargo the next day. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard With their hands for many days, neither sun nor stars appeared, and the severe storm kept raging. Finally, all hope was fading that we would be saved. They've lost anything that would help them navigate at this point. Blind leading the blind, being driven by the storm instead of driving through the storm. They are not making any decisions. They're not getting to make any choices. They are being told what to do and being driven on that course. A course that Paul advised, we shouldn't even be running this. We need to be staying where we are. Sometimes it's good to stay. I said, sometimes it's good to stay. A lot of getting up and moving around and a lot of, lot of, you know, instability. Sometimes it's good to stay put. Good things grow when you stay put. But ultimately, Paul is listening and is in tune to something that nobody else on this ship has. The Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God literally living and dwelling inside them. Abiding within them. Paul is in tune to something on the inside. He's not moved by what he sees. He's not moved by how he feels. He's not moved by what it looks like. It looks calm right now, but I'm telling you, I know something. I perceive something by the Spirit of God, and that's you and I. You have to understand that people are going to look at you cross-eyed, side-eyed, question you, challenge you. But that's because they don't have what you have. They don't have the inside scoop. They don't have the spirit of God, heaven itself dwelling inside of you, saying, do this, don't do this, go here, don't go there, say this, don't say that. The Holy Spirit is our restraining guide in our life. Not restraining to limit you, restraining to free you. The blessing is in the boundary. The blessing is in the obedience. The blessing is in following the voice of God. But they overrode that. And I tell you, when you override the Holy Spirit in your life, when you override the voice of God, and, and notice Paul is not in a position, like he's, he's you, you notice he's complying. You know, sometimes we have what is called a second storm. 
And I think Paul understood that the first storm was inevitable. I tried to get you out of that. I tried to advise you. You didn't listen to me, but I'm going to make sure I don't start a second storm. And the second storm is how you respond to the first storm. He could have gotten all offended. He could have said, well, forget you. You're all just going to. He could have called him names. He could have, he could have gone a whole route. But he remained in compliance. You know, navigating these past few months as a pastor has been pretty difficult. I remember the last service we had. It was right on the cusp. I think we went like a week longer than a, a, a lot of other people. And, and, and so, you know, I had made our little posts that we do on social media reminding you that we're having church because I know you forgot. I'm just reminding you, tomorrow's Sunday, 8.30 morning prayer, 10.30 service. We're going to be here. And I had some comments on there. Can't believe you put people in danger like that. I got some emails. Got some voice, voice mails on the, on the phone. Then the following week, we make the decision, you know what, we're going to comply. I got some of you calling me, Pastor Mark. It's a lose-lose situation. For the entire month of April, I'm sitting in a room all by myself recording messages and got nobody hollering at me, nobody amening me. I don't know if you're taking notes or eating cereal, I, you know. I mean, I would have given anything to have some. I would have loved to just have somebody fall asleep in that service. I didn't have anybody. For a whole month. And then, you know, we're, we're gauging. Are we ready to come back? Are we ready to do these things? But Paul here is complying with the governing authorities that are in place. He's not overruling them. He's not overriding them. He's not calling them names. He's, he, he's not, not struggling with them. There's a balance here. There's a balance. Let me tell you something. You've got, you're going to have church. You're going to have bigger fish to fry than whether or not we can meet because of some virus, regardless of what the statistics say. People were telling me, you know, government's trying to shut us down. No, they're not. In fact, we have a president that has supported the church greater than any president we've had in the last century. And now we're going to fight him? When I've got other methods and other ways, well, the Bible says don't forsake the assembly. I understand that. It's four weeks. Four weeks. We're coming back. Now, if you want to take that further and you have no right to tell us, I mean, they weren't. In, in fact, he was encouraging us. He was encouraging you guys to tithe. And then he gave you $1,200 to do it with. There it is. He gave you something to tithe off of in case you lost your job. Hey, I still make sure the church can get 120 bucks. Get their 10%. Yeah. I, trust me, there's coming a day when we will be told to shut down. This is not that day. And I'm going to save my energy for the battles that I are, really need to fight. Some of us are picking battles with every little thing. Every little struggle, responding to every little thing. I will know when there's a battle to fight. I will know when there's a mark of the beast. I will know when they are trying to get us to comply with something that is detrimental to the life and the health of the church and of the living God. And it's putting me in a position where I have to defy him to answer to you. And this is not that. But that day's coming. That day will come. The Bible is very clear. In America, absolutely. We might be the first ones. The rate we're going. The rate we're going. America thinks we're Christian. But until they threaten to take your head off, we might never know. But there's other countries that are, they know for sure they're Christian and they're willing to lose their head for it. Even further, 
they're willing to lose their child's head for it. Yeah, they won't even threaten to take your head off. You'll have to watch your child's head come off or announce, denounce God. Oh, it's going to get dark. It's going to get dark. That took a turn. All right, let's get back in here. Yeah. Verse 21. And since they had been without food for a long time, Paul then stood up among them and said, You men should have followed my, <laughs> you men should have followed my advice not to sail from Crete and sustain this damage. And like, yeah, he sure did come right back and says, I told you so. I told you. But what's he doing? He's taking his position of influence. Not overriding authority, not dumbing down people and talking condescendingly, but he's just helping them recognize, you should have listened to me because I've got a voice. I perceive, and I'm not just some crazy prisoner. I'm not off my rocker. I'm not taking crazy pills. You know, in the previous chapter, he was standing before Festus, and Festus told him that you are so learned and so educated and you're so into your studies that it's driving you mad. It's driving you crazy. They thought he was crazy. Paul, all this could be avoided if you just stop preaching about Jesus. All this could be avoided if you quit going around telling people that Jesus raised from the dead, the one that we killed and put in the grave, and you're running around with all this slander saying that he's resurrected, the resurrection. That's no such thing as a resurrection. This could all be avoided, Paul. But now he speaks up and says, I had the answer before, and I still have the answer now. Watch this, verse 22. Now I urge you to take courage. If it were me, I would have said, now you're done, gone, done, and did it. Now we're all going to die. Should have listened to me. I know better than you. But Paul says, I urge you to take courage. Because there will be no loss of any of your lives, but only of the ship. In essence, he says, if you listen to me now, we'll just have lost the ship and the cargo but we won't lose any people. Could you still have a heart of compassion towards those that refuted you to begin with? That's Paul's position. See, Paul, Paul was a different kind of guy. Paul was, would sit in prison and write to the church I thank God for this opportunity to be in this prison because it's given me an opportunity to minister to soldiers and guards and centurions that I might not ever get to talk to otherwise. Can we do that? Can we find purpose in the prison? Can we find purpose in the storm? You know, Christians, we love our metaphors. Storms, giants, Mountains, right? Giants. Could be anything. Could be poor Wi-Fi or a bill that you were surprised with, trying to get over the mountain, trying to go through the storm. But we got to be careful. Sometimes we use these metaphors so loosely that we forget these people endured real giants. They had to climb real mountains. They had to navigate real storms. He's going through a real storm. He's in it because of their disobedience. Notice this. Paul is smack dab in the will of God. Right in the middle of it. Doing exactly what he's supposed to do. He's right where he's supposed to be. He didn't disobey. This isn't Jonah. Jonah endured a storm because he disobeyed. And finally, he spoke up and said, hey, all this bad stuff is happening because I didn't go over there, so just throw me overboard. 
I saw a, a, a thing the other day. It said, uh, whoever disobeyed God, please go wherever you need to go so all this stuff can turn around. Like all this stuff keeps happening because somebody didn't go where they're supposed to go. But Paul is having to endure what was not even caused by him. He remains in compliance. He said, I told you so, but he only brought that up to let them know, I knew what to do the first time. I can still help you now. Not to shove it in their face. Not to talk down to them. Not to read them their rights. Not to, to, to let them know how horrible it's going to get. He says, take courage. If you listen to me from here on out. See, that's, that's the kind of people we've got to be. That even when this thing does start really breaking loose. If the world came to us now, would we turn them away and say, I ain't helping you now. This is every man for himself. This is every, I'm, I'm just trying to get to heaven. I'm right with him. I don't care about you. Or can you still take the hand of the one that turned you down the first time and say, come with me, I know how to get us out of this. I know the answer. He says, take courage. Verse 23, for last night an angel of the of the God I belong to and serve stood by me and said, don't be afraid, Paul. This is funny. It is necessary for you to appear before Caesar. In essence, he says, all this stuff is just to get me where I need to go. The whole reason why we're here is because I've got a purpose. I've got a mission. I've got something I've got to do in Rome. I've got to get there before Caesar. I've got to get him my testimony. I've got to declare this to these people. So if you listen to me, we can all get there. If not, I'm going to get there. I know I will get there. I've been assured by my God. Some way, somehow, I will get there. And you may not, you know, you know, God is taking us. God is moving us. God is shifting us. And we love going from glory to glory and from faith to faith. But you might not be as much in love with the mode of transportation he uses to get you from point A to point B. How he gets you there. Right? Paul said, I didn't, I didn't pick this mode of transportation. I didn't rent this boat. I didn't choose this. So take courage, men, because I believe, God, that it will be just the way it was told to me. But we have to run on some island. Now, that would be a problem. Okay, since you know all this stuff, I need to know what island. <laughs> he just says, some island. We're, we're going to hit ground somewhere. But at this point, they are so desperate that they'll listen to a prisoner. They'll listen to a prisoner. One day it will get so desperate and it will get so bad that they will listen to us. Maybe not because they want to, but you and I still have to have the heart to lead them out. You know, this all means that Paul remains a prisoner. Getting to Rome means that he will remain in chains. And he knows that. He knows that he's going to testify before Caesar, but he knows that it's going to fall on deaf ears. He knows one day the end is coming. Yet he still says the mission, the big picture, is more important than my freedom. So when the 14th night came, we were drifting in the Adriatic Sea, and about midnight the sailors thought they were approaching land. They took soundings. Found it to be 120 feet deep. They sailed a little farther, sounded again, found it to be 90 feet deep. Then fearing we might run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight to come. Some sailors tried to escape from the ship. 
And they had let down the skiff into the sea, pretending that they were going to put out anchors from the bow. But uh, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. And the soldiers cut the ropes holding the skiff and let it drop away. When it was about daylight, Paul urged them all to take food, saying, today is the 14th day that you have been waiting and going without food, having eaten nothing. I urge you to take some food, for this is your survival. Notice, he has taken full command of this thing now. He's taken, and if he had not spoken up the first time, they'd have no reason to believe anything that he said. If he didn't speak up when it didn't look bad, your voice matters. The church's voice matters in these last days. And you've got to make sure you are aligning your voice with the kingdom of God. Aligning your voice with heaven. What is God saying right now? What is God saying? Now he says, after he said these things, he took some bread. He gave thanks to God in the presence of all of them. Still in gratitude, still in great, everybody else, they don't know that this guy's plan. They're probably just following the guy because they got nothing else to lean on. They've got nothing, they're not, oh man, yeah, we, you know, yeah, we believe in your God. We believe that he's faithful. We believe that he'll call you. They don't know that. And in the midst of all of them, acknowledges God's presence. After he broke it, He began to eat. Look at this in verse 36. And they all were encouraged. They took food for themselves. In all, there were 276 of us on the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing the grain overboard. When daylight came, they didn't recognize the land. Beside it, a bay with the beach. They planned to run the ship ashore if they could after cutting loose the anchors. They left them in the sea and the same time loosening the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and headed for the beach. But they struck a sandbar, ran the ship aground. Basically, the the ship ends up breaking apart. They say, those that can swim, go ahead and jump out. The rest of them are coming in on debris, coming in on whatever they could grab that was floating loose in the water, every single one of them made it alive. Worship team, if you come. Yes, our purpose. Yes, what God is trying to do in our lives. Yes, what God is trying to do through the church matters. But not at the expense of the world that he's called you to lead. I know leadership is not something we place a lot of trust in right now. I know leadership is not something that we can point around, look around and point at and say, man, we've just got so much great leadership. I, you know, there's just so many good choices out there. There's very few, to be honest with you. This is why we're needed. I remind you again that the struggles and the challenges that we're seeing in our world is the very reason for your existence. And as your pastor and as the shepherd of this flock, I feel implored and I feel uh, uh, just so urgent that the people in this room and the people in this house know we are not praying our way out of all this mess. If that's you, there are plenty of churches that are preaching that. We're going to find a way through. And we're going to be an answer for a lost and dying world. Chase just recently mentioned. In his message, when he, he ministered a couple weeks ago. That we could be praying for stuff. Rather than worrying about what I agree and disagree? Why don't we just stop and pray? I know some people right now that need a lot of prayer. Real prayer. From people that know what prayer does. 
This is not a church that prays. This is a church that gets answers to pray. Pray for your president. Pray for your leaders. Every little decision is put under the microscope right now. Every decision is scrutinized. Everything is is posted and shouted and elevated to such a high level. Our thumbs are working more than our lips and our voice. We've got to stand up in these last days. We've got to rise up in these last days. And I'm preaching to myself. I'm preaching to myself. It's easy to take on thoughts. It's easy to allow things to come in. It's easy to allow things to flood over time as it just begins. You, you, you just you look at it and you, you just filter it and it's just all Where do we stop? Where do we delete the apps? Where do we take a week off? Where do we cut it and say, this is compromising my effort. This is compromising who I am, what I'm called to do. And I definitely want to make sure that when they come to us, I have the heart to redeem them. I have the heart of the Father towards them. Jesus, while nails were being put through his hands, said, Father, forgive them. Did you say that? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they did. You just see hurt. You just see pain. You see brokenness. But as a church of the living God, we ought to see answers. We ought to see hope, healing. That's what you and I are here to do. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.